1: with his own nicotine pouches. The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. The Motor Racing Network presents NASCAR Live.
2: They roll out of turn number four, come down to the line, white flag in the air, and right now Jimmy Johnson trying to get back around and go to victory lane here this afternoon. Give Rick Hendrick his 200th win. Follow him over to turn one.
3: Jimmy Johnson off turn number two, six, seven, car lengths in hand, Down half a lap before he hits the victory lane. Race fans
4: now waving their hands or waving their hats wildly on the back straightaway. Johnson comes back to
0: turn number three. Off turn number four, looking for the checkered flag of the Southern 500. Been a long time in the making but finally, Jimmy Johnson gets it done, scoring the 200th front cup
3: win for Hendrick Motorsports. Tonight, winning the Southern 500. Chad,
5: congratulations. Win number 200 for Hendrick Motorsports and a Southern 500.
6: Oh, I'll tell you what, what a I'll tell you what, if you want to come to a race, you come to Darlington. This is an exciting event. Dude did a great job driving all day, obviously. The car was super fast. Couldn't be proud of everybody on this Cobalt Lowe's team.
1: NASCAR Live is brought to you by Toyota. For the latest Toyota racing information, visit Toyotaracing.com. From the MRN studios in Concord, North Carolina, here is your host, Mike Bagley.
4: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of NASCAR Live here on the Motor Racing Network. Mike Bagley and the entire MRN crew here with you with a special Hall of Fame edition of NASCAR Live. Tonight, we'll honor all three inductees with career retrospectives covering Jimmy Johnson, Chad Canals, and Donnie Allison. I'll sit down with Chad Canals. We'll talk about his Hall of Fame career. We'll also continue our countdown to the Daytona 500 by revisiting one of Jimmy Johnson's two wins in the Great American Race and a whole lot more. But first, Kyle Ricky is here with a check of the latest headlines in NASCAR. Kyle?
7: Mike, Jimmy Johnson will be back in the NASCAR Cup Series in 2024, competing in nine races for Legacy Motor Club. Johnson had previously committed to race at Texas, Dover, both Kansas events, the Coca-Cola 600 at Charlotte, and at Las Vegas in the fall. The organization announced that the seven-time series champion has also committed to taking on the Daytona 500 with sponsor Carvana, as well as entering the Brickyard 400, and the season finale in Phoenix. With the season inching closer and closer, shuffling in the NASCAR garage continues. Rick Ware Racing will welcome Chris Lawson, formerly a Front Row Motorsports, into the fold as Hill Crew Chief for Justin Haley. Haley will pilot the number 51 car, while the drivers of the 15 have yet to be announced. In other news, silly season dominoes continue to fall in the NASCAR Xfinity Series the latest being Daniel Dye, as he'll drive in 10 races for Colleague Racing. Dye will be behind the wheel of the number 10 car starting in Daytona in February. Series veteran Jeffrey Earnhardt will be back once again, but in a part-time role for Sam Hunt Racing. Forever Lawn will be the title sponsor, as the exact number of races has yet to be announced. Earnhardt's first race will be in next month's event in Atlanta. And Quaker State has extended its partnership with Trackhouse Racing. In addition, the company will be the primary sponsor of Daniel Suarez in the NASCAR Mexico Series race at the L.A. Coliseum on February 4th. The Mexican-born driver makes his return into the series for the first time since 2014. Mike? Thank
4: you, Kyle. Coming up, we'll look back at the Hall of Fame career of Jimmy Johnson.
1: This is NASCAR Live. Now,
4: back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. There was no other way we could start this show than by honoring one of the most deserving NASCAR Hall of Famers of all time. Susie Armstrong is here to try to put into words just what makes Jimmy Johnson a NASCAR Hall of Famer.
8: Some people are just born racers. That was evident early on with Jimmy Johnson. Born in El Cajon, California, Johnson started racing motorcycles at only four years of age. Throughout Johnson's youth, he competed in various disciplines of off-road racing, including trophy trucks and events like the Baja 1000. It was in the late 90s when Johnson began racing stock cars. He truly jumped on the scene when he won a NASCAR Xfinity Series race at Chicagoland Speedway in 2001. Shockingly, less than five years after he got his stock car start, Johnson found himself in a position to drive for Hendrick Motorsports in the NASCAR Cup Series. Jeff Gordon and Johnson had met in the year 2000, and Gordon was so confident in the young driver that he convinced Rick Hendrick to hire Johnson to drive their new entry, the 48 car. For anyone who thought it was too much too soon for Johnson, they were proven wrong when he went to victory lane early in his rookie season at his home track, California Speedway. Here they come to the line, and in only the 13th start of his NASCAR Winston Cup Series career, Jimmy Johnson is going to victory lane at California. According to Johnson, he couldn't have scripted his first victory any better.
9: If any driver could script their first win in the circumstances, they I think they would choose a path similar to what I went through. Tenth uh, start of that season, went on my home track, you know you you just you couldn't uh, script it any better and when I look back, uh, I'm just you know I'm still amazed that it it turned out that way.
8: Johnson was off to a hot start. But it was in 2006 where he would reach superstardom. He began the year by winning the sport's biggest race, the Daytona 500. He then ended the year by winning his first championship.
3: Jimmy Johnson is gonna be the 2006 NASCAR Nextel Cup
8: Series champion. That year was the start of an unprecedented reign of dominance for Johnson, who was the series champion again in 2007, 2008, 2009, and 2010, making history as the only driver in NASCAR to win five straight championships. Team owner Rick Hendrick believes that Johnson accomplished that in large part due to his drive to succeed. I just think he, he wanted
3: it so bad. And he, I mean, he, he was like in the car, out of the car. And I think the combination was unbelievable. And, uh, if he's going to run a marathon, he's going to be the best. If he, Whatever he decides he wants to do, he wants to be the best. And he doesn't just say it, he does it. I mean, he, he prepares for it.
8: Johnson's strengths weren't limited to consistency and championships. Johnson won races, a lot of them, and in the most pressure-packed situations. Johnson was a multi-time victor of all four of NASCAR's crown jewel events winning the Daytona 500 and Southern 500 twice, as well as the Coca-Cola 600 and Brickyard 400, both. A staggering four times. As Johnson continued to rise up the career wins list, he was also able to capture a sixth championship in the final year of the Chase for the Cup format. Ten years after Johnson's career season of 2006, he had another year for the record books in 2016. In February, at Atlanta Motor Speedway, Johnson tied the legendary Dale Earnhardt on the all time wins list at 76, an accomplishment. That Johnson didn't take lightly.
9: You know, I, I entered the sport just hoping I could win a race and keep a job for a few years, and to have 76 and tie Dale Earnhardt Sr. is something I'm very, very proud of. I didn't have a chance to race against him, unfortunately. You know, there's been a big void in my mind about uh, not having that chance to race against him, and it was literally you know a handful of months away from having that opportunity. So to tie him for myself personally it gives, gives me a little something. It's a little bit of attachment to uh, the great Dale Earnhardt and something I'm very proud of.
8: Nine months later, Johnson tied Earnhardt and the legendary Richard Petty in an even more important category. They've been fighting adversity all weekend long. and They've come through every one of the problems
3: and they come home victorious. Jimmy Johnson wins at Homestead and scores on
8: history making seventh championship tying the late Dale Earnhardt and Richard Petty. That championship might have been the most clutch moment of Johnson's career, winning the title in a winner-take-all championship race at Homestead Miami Speedway. Johnson retired from full-time racing four years later at the end of the 2020 season with 83 wins and a record-tying seven series championships. With a career like that, it's undeniable the lasting impact Johnson had on the sport. Young drivers like Zane Smith and Christian Eckes both count Johnson as one of their inspirations to get into racing. I would say
6: Jimmy Johnson uh, was probably one of my favorites, if not my favorite from him being from California and having a very, very similar background. But
9: to me, on, on how he got started, and I mean, how can't you really pull for a seven-time champion as well? I'd say Jimmy Johnson was my favorite growing up. Thought just in the beginning because he won a lot, it was he was really cool. But then I kind of got to know you know who he is and what he stands for and stuff, and that's what uh, made me like him even more.
8: Jimmy Johnson returned to the sport as a part owner of the newly minted Legacy Motor Club and reappeared at the track as a part-time driver. Something Johnson will continue to do this year. But before he reassumes the driver-owner role, Jimmy Johnson will take his rightful spot in the NASCAR Hall of Fame Class of 2024.
4: Thank you, Susie. Coming up, I'll sit down with Jimmy's longtime crew chief and fellow Hall of Famer, Chad Canals.
1: This is NASCAR
4: Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. You can't tell the story of Jimmy Johnson's Hall of Fame career without including the man who sat on top of his pit box for the vast majority of it. Chad Canals will join Jimmy Johnson as a member of the NASCAR Hall of Fame class of 2024, and I had a chance to sit down with Chad and discuss that accomplishment. Congratulations! What was it like when you got the notification that you were going to be a NASCAR Hall of Famer? It
6: was pretty awesome. Um, Was able to be. Jimmy and I were in the same room. We were at NASCAR um, and we were watching on a monitor in this small little, you know, conference room, uh, watching Steve Phelps uh, undo the ballots, and I felt very confident that Jimmy was going in. That was easy peasy, right? Let's be honest. You know, Jimmy's going in. You know, first timer, myself. I didn't really know. Um, there were a lot of very worthy people to, to get into the hall that were on the ballot, right? So, are you being serious right now? No, oh, dead serious, absolutely. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I I really didn't. I really I was like, man, I I could see it. I could see it eventually, right? But I didn't know if it was going to happen then, that day, at that time. You know, I just didn't know, and I would have walked out of there probably fine if I if it hadn't been. Would have been okay. Yeah. So, but nonetheless, um, we were there. And watching Steve, and they they said Donnie, and we're like, oh, that's awesome. And uh, Janet three and spoke about her and all of that. And Jimmy, and you know, Jimmy sitting across, I think it was right behind me at the conference table. And I looked at him, and I could just see it in his eyes. He was like, man, this is awesome. And I was really, just it was like it was a cool, intimate thing. I like, got up, gave him a big man hug, you know, and just looked him dead in the eye and said, man, I'm so proud of you, you know, because I was, I had went in there really, quite honestly, with the mindset of whether I go in or not, I'm here for Jimmy. I'm here to support him and be a part of this for him because I'm so proud of him, and that was that's why I went in there. I went in there. I was like, look, I don't. If I get it, great. But man, I know he's getting it, and I want to be there for him when they announce his name. So that was really awesome. So then we we sat down. Um, we, you know, and then Steve goes through, and then you know he he said my name, which was really cool. And we watched the video, and Jimmy and I had another good hug, and um, and it was it was just really special. It's 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 really neat. It's it's and I've known Donnie for. Uh, since I worked for Stanley Smith in Chelsea, Alabama, in the, the 1990, was that the one and two, right? So I've known Donnie for a really long time as well. So there's really pretty cool to be going in there
4: with those guys. You know, we had had conversation amongst ourselves. The fans have had conversations that when the time came that you would go into the Hall of Fame or become Hall of Fame eligible, yeah, it made sense for you two to go together. Yeah. Did it? I know that you had resigned yourself that, "Eh, you know what, if it happens, if it happens, if it doesn't, doesn't for some of us, it's not conceivable that you would go (laughs) in separate because I don't believe you accomplished what you accomplished without him. And he did not accomplish what he did without you. And it made sense to go
1: together.
6: You know, when, when, when I first found out that I was going to be on the ballot, um, Winston Kelly, who we all know and love, right. Um, director of the hall of fame. I think that's his name. His director, um, his title, um, I asked him, I was like, man, talk to me a little bit like, you know, Smoky Eunuch. You know, some of these other guys, like, are they in? You know, because I didn't really know exactly, and they're not. And he's not. You know, Len Wood is, right? You know, some of the Wood brothers are, and some of the other folks are. But, like, the amount of people that were crew chiefs or what have you um, aren't in there that I feel like that they should be. So I feel like that there's other folks that really kind of deserve it better than me. And trust me, let's be honest, I upset a lot of people. No, <laughs> right? No, so let's let's be straight. You know, there's a lot of folks at NASCAR that don't really care for me still to this day. Um, so and, and there's ha- been
4: a page or 20 that have been written in the rule book because you made them <laughs> right. write it.
6: So there's, there's there's that element that you have to overcome, right? It's it's it's, it's yeah, they're made, there's stats, there's accomplishments, but there's also the emotional quotient that's always weighs in on everybody's decisions. So I was like, man, if I don't get it, I get it. There's people that. They don't like me, and it's fine, you know. So there was there was always that.
4: Now, what you and I shared um, a moment at Watkins Glen earlier this year. I I, I'd congratulated you personally, but one of the cool things about you and and what you're about to do in January, and knowing where you started at Rockford Speedway, which by the way they've shut it down. This is the last year. I know. But back in those days, and you know when you started out, you know your father ran the place. I mean, he just ran the table there. Yeah. You worked there. What you did. And your career and what you're about to accomplish, you gave hope to a lot of mechanics at the Rockford Speedways of the world, at the Slingers and all of these local short tracks, that there is a path to the NASCAR Hall of Fame and there is a path to the Blue Jacket. Who along the way and back in those days do you remember that helped you to lead you to Hendrick Motors, to lead you to Stacey Compton, to Sammy Smith, (laughs) to Hendrick Motorsports and to the Hall?
6: Yeah, it's crazy as you sit back and you look at it. Um, my father obviously was a major, major influence um, when I was when I was young, and we had my father and I have a unique relationship. I was his mechanic, crew chief, and he was my driver. It wasn't so much father and son; it was just seriously that's the way it was. I can remember getting grounded, and then he ungrounded me so I could go work on the race car, <laughs> right? And it's true story, right? And. <laughs> Uh, So that's that's the way we were. Right. Like I worked I built and worked on his race cars from a very, very young age. And he taught and and we raced a lot. We raced a lot. You mentioned Rockford Speedway, but we raced a lot all over the Midwest. And um, the Rockford Speedway going up there, which, again, you mentioned is gone, which is really sad. um, The competition level was high, like it was really high. And it, it taught me how to compete at a high level at a very young age and what it takes. My father in that, that track, in that area taught me, you have to have maintenance. You have to have performance. You have to do these things to be able to go out there and win and win consistently. We had one year where we had 28 races we didn't finish outside of the top two. Right? 28 out of like... That's insane. Yeah. Right? Think about that. Like, and, and you don't start. It's not... It, there's inversions. Like, if you win, you start last right so you're and it's the 35 40 lap you know races you know so it, it was awesome and by um, the
4: way you did that with not a lot of room to work on the racetrack no, it was it's, tiny it's not exactly the pokedo <laughs> racetracks right. it's a very very tiny yeah. race track
6: yeah tiny quarter mile racetrack and you know and then we would go and we would run oco uh, Shakopee you know, up in minnesota we would go to lacrosse we would go to hawkeye we would go to slinger we would go to berlin you know salem name it. We were, were hitting these racetracks all the time at a very young age. So I learned what it was like to go from one rule set to the next rule set to accommodate, you know, whatever the, the sanctioning body was at that time um, was was really, you know, fundamentally sound from my father at that point. But, you know, I grew up racing against Mark Martin, Rusty Wallace, Alan Kowicki. Uh, those are the guys that we raced all the time. And so they were the foundation Matt Kenseth was a child when we were racing up there. Think about that, right? And he was starting to get to where he was getting ready to kick some butt. You know, Wayne Lansing at left-hander chassis taught me an awful lot. Um, you know, one thing that I, I still have to this day, my father went to the Duke Southridge Racing School down in Florida, and he went down there and he, uh, you know, those old cassette recorders with the 90-minute cassette tapes, he put three of those in there and he recorded every single minute of those training sessions down there in florida in a three-ring binder which is all printed out uh, from that school and that's what i studied driving in the backs of the bread vans that we had for transporters to every racetrack i listened to the the audio recording of duke southard speaking you know you need to do this for roll center you need to do this for your instant center you need to do this to get your polar motor inertia squared away this is the chassis rake that so-and-so this leaf spring that coil spring all of these things body rake like at, at 10 years of age, this is what I'm listening to every single day and using this notebook as, as my study guide. Um, that's what I did growing up. That's all I did. And uh, those guys showed me the the importance of, of those types of things and those study habits to be able to be successful.
4: Hearing you describe all this, a lot of folks, when they get into racing, they want to jump to cup, right? They want to get the <laughs> yeah. fast track and the express yeah. lane, the, the HOV lane, whatever lane you want to call it, and go to the cup series. What you're describing is okay, you know what that will come if you do the work. Yeah. If you do the work and you pay attention and you learn the lessons, you're better when you get there, but yeah. not a lot of folks seem to understand that these days.
6: No, we, it's it's no different than anything else. Everybody's looking for the fa- to the, the fast road, right? If I'm an engineer, I can be a cup crew chief. That's it, it's not necessarily true. You could be a cup crew chief who's an engineer, right? Does that make sense? Uh you know, so it's it's hard. There's a lot of dues that need to be paid and, and from my perspective, and that's the way that I encourage our guys to try to learn that way. If you look at Greg Ives, an amazingly intelligent young man, a man now, he's not young anymore. Um, when he showed up, he worked in our post-race department, right? He, he tore race cars apart. He cleaned parts, and then he got an opportunity to assemble cars, and then he got an opportunity to work on a setup play. Then we gave him an opportunity to be my second engineer, right? That was That was five years. Right of, of fundamentals that he was doing outside of having a mechanical engineering degree from, from up north. So uh, that's the way that we, I like to see people transition. Um, and that's, you know, as you sit back and you look at it and talk about the people that helped me get there, you know, my dad, the racers, the drivers, the, the crew members in the Midwest, and then as I got down here, being able to work with people like uh, Ernie Elliott, you know, uh, when I was working with Bill, <clears throat> excuse me, and those guys through the early years of Everham Motorsports and understanding, you know, what they did and how they did things and the hard knocks. And their outlook is completely different than a lot of people in the world. Right. But they are fundamentalists and purists. And and those are the ones that that really helped me. And then obviously working with Ray early on, um, you know, he he really it was interesting. His jersey mentality and my Midwestern Chicago mentality really weren't that far off we just talked a little different <laughs> you know but like it was very grit very hard-nosed very matter-of-fact
4: and uh, i really
6: really appreciated that
4: coming up Susie armstrong dives deeper into chad canal's hall of fame career
7: in your hand stopping you. craftsman in your hand Store care to home and auto repair do it with Craftsman. find the tools equipment and storage you need at your local lowes ace hardware or craftsman.com
1: this is nascar live now back to mike
4: bagley Welcome back to NASCAR Live. A few moments ago, you heard my conversation with Chad Kanaus ahead of his Hall of Fame induction on Friday night. But now let's shine a brighter spotlight on all of Chad's accomplishments. Susie Armstrong is back to do exactly just that.
8: Crew chiefs have one of the toughest jobs in NASCAR. And a man who has set the standard for excellence is Chad Kanaus. Born in Rockford, Illinois, the Midwesterner got his start atop a pit box in the mid-80s helping his father, John, race against the likes of Mark Martin, Alan Kulwicki, Rusty Wallace, and Dick Trickle in the NASCAR Weekly Series. Knauss had humble beginnings in the NASCAR garage as he bounced around on multiple teams, most notably behind the mentorship of Hall of Famer Ray Evernham. His first major role was when he served as the rear tire changer on the original Rainbow Warriors pit crew where he was part of the 1995 and 1997 championship teams for Hendrick Motorsports. Knauss would gain the attention of the NASCAR world when he was given the opportunity to crew chief for Stacy Compton during the 2001 season. In 2002, the next move of Knauss' career would change history. Forever, Jimmy
6: was walking by and had just recently been, I think, kind of leaked at the point that you were going to be driving the 48 car for Hendrick Motorsports. And when Jimmy walked by, Jay grabbed him because he knew him from uh, Xfinity Racing, and said, "Hey, this is the guy that you need to be your crew chief next year." And uh, quite honestly, it was about that fast. Three weeks later, I had run into Randy Dorton, was uh, the head engine builder and in, in a huge stakeholder in Hendrick Motorsports, and uh, he. We were chatting it up a little bit and he's like, What 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 have you got going on next year? And I said, Well unfortunately the team that I've got is is gonna be cutting cutting back and scaling down and maybe not racing next year with Melling Racing. And he said, I think I need to get you and, and Jimmy together and it wasn't just but a day or two and we got together and we had lunch and it kinda took off from there.
9: Ken House and I think Brian Weitzel were with us at lunch and I I noticed they keep looking at their watch <laughs> and what time it was. But we had just such a a connection and so many similar interests. And we weren't really talking about Cup, but I could just tell that his love of two-wheeled racing and my background and love of it as well, and all these other stories we talked about from my ASA days and spending a few years in the area where he grew up, um, tracks that he raced on. Like, it just, at the very beginning, left that lunch. And I, I know from my standpoint, I'm like, this is the guy. Like, there's no questions about it. That's the guy.
8: A simple lunch led to arguably the best driver and crew chief duo of all time. Jimmy Johnson wrote history last year by winning a fourth consecutive championship. He'll do it again today by winning a fifth consecutive Sprint Cup Series championship here in Ford Championship Weekend. Jimmy Johnson and Chad Knauss would accomplish many great things. Not only did they win five straight Cup Series championships, a NASCAR record, but they also conquered numerous NASCAR crown jewels.
3: Dale Earnhardt Jr. will look to the inside, look to the outside, but he will not get it done. And Jimmy Johnson has won the Daytona 500 for the second time in his career. The first one came back in 2006, and now Jimmy Johnson has backed it up by winning the Daytona 500. In 2013, the celebration is on.
9: Of course, you know, there's challenging moments and the pressure that comes with competition, you know, that, that just weighs on you. And, and there are moments where, you know, we definitely butted heads and I'm sure everybody heard on the radios at different times. But ultimately, we we had the same goal and that, that was to be the best that we could. And I've never had anyone in my life push me as hard or as well as Chad Knauss has. And he brought the best out of me you know, every time I jumped in one of his cars.
8: The pair combined for seven NASCAR Cup Series championships and claimed 81 checkered flags over 19 seasons. They now have the honor of entering the Hall of Fame together.
6: It just hit me when we were sitting in the back room a moment ago when we had finished uh, the race in the law. You know, we kind of stood back and said, what's next? and surely didn't think the Hall of Fame would be the next thing on the, on the docket for us, but hopefully this is just uh, the next step in many, many experiences for the both of us.
8: The crew chief's career wouldn't end with Johnson. Even after his time with Johnson, team owner Rick Hendrick tasked Kanaus with molding a future superstar. William Byron trying to win and clinch a spot in the playoffs. To the line, checkered flag in the air, and William Byron and Chad Kanaus win the Coke Zero Sugar 400 at Daytona. They will go playoff racing. The 2020 Coke Zero Sugar 400 would be the 82nd and final win of Knauss' career. He trails only Dale Inman and Leonard Wood for all-time wins by a crew chief. When it comes to success at NASCAR's highest level, titles are won through hard work, attention to detail, and a relentless pursuit of perfection. Possessing all of these traits is what's allowed Chad Knauss to become one of the greatest crew chiefs in NASCAR history.
4: Thank you, Susie. Coming up, we'll highlight Jimmy Johnson's win in the 2006 Daytona 500.
9: The spirit of performance is what defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
1: This is NASCAR
4: Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Last week, we began our countdown to the 2024 Daytona 500 by revisiting Cale Yarbrough's triumph in the 1984 running of the Great American Race. This week, in honor of Jimmy Johnson's Hall of Fame induction, Kurt Becker takes us back to 2006 and the 48th renewal of the Daytona 500.
0: As the stars of the NASCAR Cup Series ready to begin yet another season-long campaign, they once again descended on the shores of Daytona Beach, Florida. The occasion was Speed Week's 2006, and it would culminate with the 48th running of the Daytona 500. The driver in the spotlight was Tony Stewart. He had just won his second series championship in 2005, but was still winless in the great American race, having gone without a victory in seven prior attempts. As a result, he held the dubious distinction of being regarded as one of the best never to win a Harley J. Earl trophy. But Stewart seemed determined to change that and looked strong early in Speed Week's, Leading late in the exhibition Bud shootout until he was passed with two laps to go by his rookie teammate Denny Hamlin. Those two Joe Gibbs racing cars were joined by the Hendrick Motorsports contingent, most notably defending winner Jeff Gordon, as favorites for the 500. Gordon, in fact, qualified on the outside of the front row and proved it was no fluke by winning his qualifying race four days later. But on race day for the 2006 Daytona 500, over 200,000 fans rose to their feet as a surprising name led the field to the green flag.
2: 43 drivers coming down to the line, pick your favorite, tighten the seatbelt and hang on. The Daytona 500 about to go green green flag is in the air they break for turn number one down to the bottom of the racetrack goes jeff burton
0: that pole position was the first for jeff burton in five and a half years burton led the first 18 laps of the event until the caution flag flew because of debris and while burton looked strong there would be eight leaders in the first 50 laps of the event stewart and another former series champion though were beginning to establish themselves as favorites here at Daytona. It is on. Matt Kenseth has taken the lead. That move took place up in turn one. But Stewart changes lanes to the bottom. Tony Stewart to the lead in three. Stewart paced the field for 20 consecutive laps while Kenseth led 23 straight until a six-car accident brought the action to a halt on lap 80.
4: Trouble up in turn number three. Jeff Green turned down on the racetrack. Back up and into J.J. Yaley. Collecting Joe Nilecek. Carl Edwards is up and over one car and they're locked together. Sliding down the racetrack in the middle of turns three and four.
0: During the next stint of the race, a new driver inserted his name into the conversation and he happened to be the 2004 winner of the Great American Race.
3: An up front, battle for the lead. Here comes Dale Jr. to the inside of Kevin Harvick. They work by the lap machine of Nemechek. Wheel to wheel for the lead again in Daytona. Jimmy Johnson crosses over, falls in behind Dale Earnhardt Jr. to give him drafting help on the
0: inside. And now it's Harvick left all alone. Dale Jr. goes to the lead. So as the race passed the halfway mark, the names at the top of the leader board were Stuart, Kinseth, and Dale Earnhardt, Jr., But on lap 107, two of those three drivers were involved in an incident that would adversely impact their chances of victory. Behind them, three wide, Kenseth on the bottom, and they make contact. Kenseth goes off in the grass, driving in a straight line, loses control
4: up the racetrack, and collects no one. You have got to be kidding me. He slides up, bangs the wall, does not touch anyone else. A scary ride for Matt Kenseth.
2: Caution is on the speedway. Matt Kenseth, one of the strongest cars in the field,
4: in trouble over again in turn three. Uh, Tony Stewart and Matt Kenseth made contact, Barney,
0: and it was Matt Kenseth that got forced off into the grass. Kenseth was able to continue, but he was never able to work his way back to the front of the field, despite having led 28 laps on the day. And while Stewart did not sustain any damage, he was penalized and sent to the tail end of the field for what NASCAR deemed aggressive driving. Stewart was able to work his way up through the running order, but was sent to the tail end of the field again, this time due to a violation on a lap 126 pit stop. In the latter half of the event, all three of Hendrick Motorsports' young guns, Jimmy Johnson, Kyle Busch, and Brian Vickers, took turns at the point and showed it was not just Jeff Gordon who had potential to bring back the checkered flag for HMS. Gordon, in fact, led only one lap all day before getting swept up in a multi-car accident with less than 15 laps to go. Johnson was the leader on the ensuing restart, and he seemed to have the race in hand, but another multi-car crash forced the race into overtime.
4: Trouble into the wall. Off the Jeff Burton is in the wall. Jamie McMurray head on into the outside retaining wall. Three cars involved as they spin down the back straightaway.
0: The pressure was on for Johnson, who led the field to green on the final restart ahead of Casey Mears and Ryan and Newman. Johnson would need to hold off those two with Dale Earnhardt Jr. also looking to make a run in the final laps.
4: Final time into turn number one. It's Jimmy Johnson, Brian Newman, and Casey Mears. Dale Jr. goes to the outside of Elliott Sadler, but it may be too little too late. Jimmy Johnson off turn two leads it. Here's Jimmy Johnson, Ryan Newman, Casey Mears, the front three to the back straight away for the final time. Jimmy Johnson not having any challenges from Ryan Newman until he steps to the outside. Here goes Ryan Newman, but they all leave. Newman hung out to dry as they race back to the corner.
3: Battle's going to be for second for the moment. Casey Mears and Ryan Newman. Jimmy Johnson looks in the rearview mirror. Trouble further back. Greg Biffle goes with Johnson is headed to victory lane. Jimmy Johnson off turn four, comes into the triumphal with plenty of breathing room. They're battling it out for a second. Jimmy Johnson's
0: going to win the 48th Daytona 500. The victory was an emotional one for the California driver. Not only was it Johnson's first Daytona 500 victory, but also it was accomplished despite the absence of his crew chief, Chad Knauss.
3: You are now a
9: Daytona 500 winner. You've been so close so often. Tell us about today's race. I, I can't believe it. I am so proud of this race team. Obviously, it's been a tough start for us to get started here in the 2006 season. But for these guys to step up as they have, Darian Grubb filling in as crew chief, the team rallying. I had new responsibilities. We had a great Lowe's Monte Carlo. Um, everything was there. And, and once, once I got towards the front at the end of the race, I knew we were in good shape in those closing laps. Um, I had a feeling Casey Mears, my good friend, was going to play a part in the victory, and I, I'm glad he did. Johnson
0: hoisting that Harley J. Earl trophy as the winner of the great American race was a sign of things to come in what would be a magical and championship-winning 2006 for the future Hall of Famer.
4: Thank you, Kurt. Coming up, there's one more Hall of Famer to honor, and we'll shine a spotlight on Donnie Allison next.
8: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip.
3: Hi, checking in for...
8: Or the perfect table.
3: Hey, where are you?
8: Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel... It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: This is NASCAR Live. Now,
4: back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. The inductee into the pioneer wing of the NASCAR Hall of Fame this year is a member of one of the most legendary families in the history of the sport. Joining Bobby and Davey, Donnie Allison takes his rightful spot in the Hall of Fame Friday night. Susie Armstrong has more on the latest member of the Alabama gang to enter NASCAR's Hall of Fame.
8: Some things just run in the family, and few names are as iconic as the Allison family in NASCAR donnie allison born in miami florida cut his teeth competing in grassroots racing before his nascar rise a member of the famed alabama gang allison has been an ambassador for the sport for more than 50 years before racing in the grand national series like his older brother bobby allison started his racing career behind the wheel of modifieds until working his way to the highest level of stock car racing Allison would capture Grand National Rookie of the Year honors in 1967, leading to his partnership with NASCAR Hall of Famer Banjo Matthews. It wouldn't take long for the racing world to learn Donnie's name, as his first big win came at the 1968 Carolina 500 at Rockingham Speedway. During a career that spanned from 1966 to 1988, Allison won ten times in the Cup Series. I
3: can imagine what Donnie Allison is thinking right now. Let's hold on as he moves nice, smoothly down to the low groove off the number three corner into turn number four. Baker just in front of him, about five lengths, and his brother Bobby. Barney, they come to you.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, here comes the winner, Donnie Allison. He's crossed the start-finish line, gets the checkered flag, and a jubilant Donnie Allison immediately pops his arm out the window and begins to wave to the fans here at Charlotte Motor Speedway.
3: I run just as hard as I could all day. When I got out of the draft, I, I tried everything uh, to, to pick up a little time. I just couldn't do it. And the car just handles super. I'm not that tired. But, you know, it, it is a long way. And it's been a long time since I've been here, and it sure feels good.
8: His most famous stretch came in 1970 when Allison won three races, including the 1970 Coca-Cola 600. Allison made NASCAR history by following up his trip to Victory Lane in Charlotte with a fourth place finish in the Indianapolis 500. To this day, that stands as the best combined finish in the two-race crossover. Allison was also part of one of NASCAR's seminal moments. Following the conclusion of the 1979 Daytona 500, he and Cale Yarborough duked it out in the infield after an intense battle for the lead ended with both cars wrecked. A moment that was captured by a national television audience for the first time in NASCAR history.
3: Jackie yep. over in turn three, we interrupt for a moment. Kale and Donnie both out of the cars. Bobby Allison has brought his car down there. A furious discussion taking place just down below the banks of turn number three. And now it appears we may have a fist fight. We see drivers and helmets, safety officials, trying to jump in there and separate them as tempers have really flared after this amazing incident on the final lap coming into turn number three. They come, they battle on the ground at this time and we can't see as others come running into around and try to separate those drivers.
8: The fight made headlines all across America. The publicity was instrumental in the growth of NASCAR. Allison's career would wind down after the 1981 World 600 as he suffered serious injuries in that event. After that, Allison would compete in only 14 more NASCAR Cup Series races. His legacy with the Alabama gang is one that influenced many NASCAR legends, including former crew chief Chad Knaus. Who will enter the Hall of Fame alongside Allison?
6: As far as Donnie, I'm a, a closet member of the Alabama gang myself. Uh, racing with Stanley Smith in Chelsea, Alabama, for all those years, and and it was able to be in in, in very informal settings with those guys back in the days of the late nine or early '90s rather, and it was really awesome. And I've always looked up to the Allisons, and uh, you know, proud to to be sitting here with them alongside them.
8: Donnie Allison joins the NASCAR Hall of Fame beside his brother Bobby and nephew Davey, where he'll be remembered forever for his dedication to NASCAR and the motorsports community.
4: Thank you, Susie. Coming up, we'll go all the way back to 2001 and Jimmy Johnson's breakthrough win. This is NASCAR Live. Now back to Mike Bagley. We're about to head for the exits on this week's NASCAR Live. We've already highlighted many of Jimmy Johnson's biggest wins tonight, but let's close the show by highlighting the first time he won a NASCAR race. That took place in the NASCAR Xfinity Series 22 years ago at the Chicagoland Speedway. Jimmy
0: Johnson's red and white Chevrolet goes wide. There's room down low, but now Newman backs out of it. His blue and white Ford continues to chase the leader. They continue to be nose to tail off of turn
5: two and down the back stretch. Ryan Newman does not appear to be making a move this time around. Takes a nice, easy line around, turns three and going to try to pull the trigger this time on Jimmy Johnson.
2: Got a lot of heat on Jimmy Johnson right now as he's trying to close in on his first win. Same thing for Ryan Newman in the Busch Series as both those two go back to turn number one. Third place, Mike Skinner, Jeff Burton, and Joe Nemechek still not too bad a race as it goes over to turn two. Keeping an eye
0: on each battle back in third. Here comes Mike Skinner into turn number two. He's got Jeff Burton bearing down behind him as they work their way up off the corner. So Mike Skinner continues to ride in that third
5: position. Only a car length and a half behind him. Here's Jeff Burton. Ryan Newman continues to work on Jimmy Johnson, but it's a carbon copy of the last lap. Newman, not
3: close enough to make a pass. Not really trying to step out of line and try anything, realizing he's got some time here. There's 11 laps to go in this race, and he's certainly there if Jimmy Johnson has happens to slip up just a little bit. They stay nose to tail again off turn two. They will stay that way all the way off of turn number two, and onto the back stretch.
5: Johnson shows the way. A lot of patience being displayed by the youngster, Ryan Newman again, just riding one car link off the rear bumper of Jimmy Johnson Let's give a nod to Jimmy Johnson. He's staying very, very cool in the league the car looks very smooth and stable through turns three and four.
2: Yeah, sometimes you can ride on somebody's bumper lap after lap and they, you know they've got a strong car. And as the late Dale Earnhardt used to tell me one time, he said, you can worry somebody out of the lead. Let's see if it works. It goes over to turn two.
0: Ryan Newman is right there keeping the pressure on. A couple of times it looks like Johnson will slip, but so far he manages to keep the car back down low. Johnson maybe just a little bit
5: more of a lead this time around, although Ryan Newman's so close. What's the difference between a car length and a car length and a half? That battle for third, still it. Jeff Burton still chasing him down as they exit
3: turn four. That's going on some three and a half seconds behind the race for the lead. Here's Jimmy Johnson
0: and Ryan Newman crossing the stripe. Still two car links between the front two. And it stays that way coming back into the corner. This time both drivers down in the bottom lane of turns one and two. Johnson leads. Ryan Newman. Ryan Newman off the corner looking for any
5: chink in the armor of Jimmy Johnson. Any vulnerable area at all around the track. So far, I don't think he's found one. Jimmy Johnson is still your leader.
2: It will be eight laps to go this time as they cross the start finish line and head back off into turn number one. Jimmy Johnson has to be running a dozen thoughts through his mind. Is he just playing with me back there? Does he have a car to get around me, or am I good enough to hold him off? They go
0: back to two. And within a couple of laps, they may start catching some black traffic. Jimmy Johnson checks behind him and sees Ryan Newman is still very much in the picture. Ryan Newman right there down
5: the backstretch. They close in on turn number three. This time Newman scoots up underneath the rear bumper of Jimmy Johnson. Very, very close. Closer than he's been in the last three
3: laps. It'll be seven to go when they come down to the line this time. And Ryan Newman is as close as he's been in the last 10 or 15 laps. Less than a car length behind Jimmy Johnson. Across the stripe, he follows his tire tracks to turn one. Newman
0: starts to drive down low. He drives deep into the corner. Has to lift. Johnson is there to slam the door. So for now, Jimmy Johnson Johnson hangs on to the race lead. Watch the Bush guys in practice.
5: One of the most popular places to pass was at the entrance of turn three. Not really down the back stretch, just try to beat them to the beginning of turn three. Ryan Newman made Trying to do that, but Jimmy Johnson shows good speed at this end of the track.
2: What? Jimmy's got one thing in his favor. He can protect that inside groove, and if, unless he can get him in the straightaway, Ryan Newman can get around him in the straightaway. As long as Jimmy can hold that car to the bottom of the racetrack, it's going to be awfully hard to get around on the outside. They go back over to two.
0: And they're closing up quickly behind the lap car, of Mike McLaughlin. They follow him on the back stretch.
5: We'll see how difficult Mike McLaughlin makes life for Jimmy Johnson and Ryan Newman. McLaughlin keeps it down low. Johnson has to swing up just a little. A bit high so too does Ryan Newman oh and Newman made contact with McLaughlin there, and while Newman is still continuing, he has some body damage to the left front.
3: Only lost a couple of car lengths in his battle with race leader Jimmy Johnson, but a great break for Jimmy Johnson with five to go. And he's got the
0: advantage now by some five car lengths, Johnson does. He leads Ryan Newman one more
3: time on the
5: back stretch. One has to wonder how that upset the aerodynamics of the Ryan Newman Ford. He did make contact with Mike McLaughlin. There's gotta be some body damage. You can see the left front fender is punching just a little bit.
2: Yeah, it kind of looked like Ryan Newman when that happened up there between turns three and four. Just so intense on focusing on catching up to the leader that he might have run up on uh, Mike McLaughlin a little bit quicker than he anticipated. And by the time he reacted, he'd already made contact with him. They're back in one. And Whoop. there's trouble for
0: Ryan Newman. His car now rides up into the outside wall, bounces off the retaining wall, slides back down to the racing groove. Everything falling apart at the seams. It looks like Newman has cut down the left front tire. Ryan Newman continues to drag out front sparks are flying off machine.
5: A tough, tough finish for Ryan Newman.
3: What a great break for Jimmy Johnson, who comes down on the line, sees it will be just three laps to go in this event, and looks like he's on his way to the win, but for Ryan Newman, close move, trying to get around the lap traffic. He did damage to the car, and now is continuing to limp around the racetrack. Let's follow Jimmy Johnson as he heads to turn three. Jimmy Johnson
5: all by himself, now down the back stretch and into turn three. Lap traffic, he has gotten around it. Jimmy Johnson free and clear
2: off of turn four. Got a big break, a moment ago, when Ryan Newman had problems down in turns one and two. Here comes Jimmy Johnson off turn number four, crosses the start-finish line, sees the indication, a couple of laps to go as he works his way back into turn number one. Mike Skinner is way back now. He is five seconds behind. He has moved into the number two position, so Jimmy Johnson, if he can just keep it between the concrete walls for one or two more laps around, going to be home free. He's heading for turn three. Jimmy
5: Johnson into turn three, and again, he has to back up just a little bit, trying to clear the lap traffic. Second spot is Mike Skinner. Good battle for third between Niemicek and Jeff
3: Ryan Newman continues to circulate around the racetrack, but he's down on the apron wants to get as good a finish as he can.
0: White flag, though, for Jimmy Johnson on his way to his first career Busch Series win. For the final time this afternoon, here comes Jimmy Johnson, his Chevrolet, back into turn number two, right down to the bottom of the racetrack. He races his way off of the corner for the final time.
5: Jimmy Johnson could almost coast at home. There's nobody behind him, nobody in front of him. Jimmy Johnson brings it through, turns three and four, all by himself, and in the
2: Jimmy Johnson off turn number four. Now, he has earned this one. He has had to battle all day long to stay up there as he comes down the line. Checkered flag, and Jimmy Johnson wins his first Bush Grand National Race.
4: Does it here at Chicagoland Speedway. And that is how it all began. That's all the time we have for you for this week, my friends. Thanks to Chad Canals for stopping by. I'm Mike Bagley. For the rest of the MRN crew, we thank you for joining us as well. Don't forget, we're on the air 8 p.m. Eastern Friday night with the Hall of Fame Induction Ceremony. Until then, so
1: long, everybody. NASCAR Live is a production of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina and was brought to you by Toyota. For the latest Toyota racing information, visit toyotaracing.com. Today's broadcast was produced by Trey Downey, Pat Jaggers, and Julian Council. The executive producer for MRN is Ryan Horn. Remember to visit MRN.com for all of the latest news and information. NASCAR Live is produced under an exclusive license with NASCAR. Any use of the accounts and descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network.